This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining us on The Voice of the Shepherd. With me today is Bishop Peter Smith, joining us for a couple of episodes as we get into a new year. Thanks for coming back and joining us, Bishop Smith. And I guess I will say Happy New Year as we record right in the beginning. In fact, the the cusp of the end of the Christmas season, we're, we're just closing in and ready to begin ordinary time. So welcome. Good to be with you, Dina Marie, and good to be with all of you who are either online or listening live uh, to Mater Day Radio. Glad to be with you all. I wanted to start this program, Bishop Smith, just to reflect and to give honor to uh, Pope Benedict XVI. We just witnessed his funeral on the 5th of January. On the last day of 2022, we said goodbye to our good friend, priest, bishop, cardinal, Pope and Pope Emeritus. So not too many in our church history can have all of those different titles and and serve the church with such love and a real, real, uh, I was talking to a priest earlier today and he said, he's our incarnation Pope. You know, he really focused on the incarnation and God is love. You know, we really had a, a focus of Jesus of Nazareth in this Pope Benedict. So I thought I'd just have us open with your uh, First reflections, just when you heard the news of Pope Benedict passing, we certainly had a sense that his health was was failing, died at the beautiful age of 95. Um, maybe some of those initial thoughts that you have of him. Certainly. I never met Pope Benedict, so it was more uh, watching from afar, listening from afar uh, with Pope Benedict. Uh, so... Regarding his his passing from this life to the next, it it was not unexpected. Uh, if you, for many of us who go into hospitals or or care facilities, and we see people in the last stages of life, the photographs that came out over the last few months very much had that. He had that look of somebody whose body was slowly shutting down and coming to the end of his life. So. Uh, I was not surprised to hear of his uh, of his death and uh, going to his e- eternal reward. So, from that perspective, it, it wasn't a shock like you know if somebody had a sudden and unexpected death. So he has had a significant impact on the church from my perspective. Uh, I think two two areas in particular. One is the clarity of his writing and teaching. Uh, and I'll say a little more about that. And then secondly, uh, the witness that he gives, not only of his life, but of his courage in taking a step to resign and step aside so that somebody else younger and stronger 
could continue on uh, with the particular task at hand. I think those two things uh, will be hallmarks of, of his papacy and the legacy that he leaves for us. Right. I'll make some comments about the first one is, for, for myself, the, the Pope of my lifetime uh, until recently was John Paul. Uh, you know, I was, a, I was a teenager when Paul VI was Pope. I remember when John Paul II was elected. I was at uh, my first year at university, I believe. And then for the next 27 years, John Paul was the Pope and had this huge impact on the church. And then with his passing, you have Pope Benedict. And they're very different people. It's, very, it's really interesting when you look at our popes from Pope Francis right now all the way back, you know, for the last five or six popes, how different they are. And the, the temptation for us is that we like somebody's style or approach or particular gifts. So we say we prefer this pope to that one. They're different, just like our pastors and our parishes are different. We bring different gifts, and we believe by faith that the Holy Spirit works in the conclaves to bring forward the person that the Lord wants to lead the church at this time and history and in this place with the particular gifts that we have. So if we look back, uh, we had John the Twenty-Third, who was more of an administrator and a pastor, calls the councils. And then from him, you have Paul the Sixth, who was he ran the councils, was more of an administrator. And then you go to uh, John Paul II, who's the one that most of us for our lives remember, who was an evangelist, a philosopher, and more of a missionary. But when he wrote his text, I remember trying to read one of his first encyclicals. I mean, <laughs> I had to read it like five times to get it because he was a phenomenologist, and so he writes in a particular way. And so it takes a while for you to get used to how he writes. And he was an extrovert. John Paul II was an extrovert. We saw that in his visits to the United States and so on. Now you have Pope Benedict come, and Pope Benedict's different. He's a, he's a theologian and a teacher, and he's an introvert. And that's when you see him at his best, when he's with groups of priests taking questions. They just ask questions, and he responds. That's where you see him at his best. And then from there, we go to Pope Francis, who's, again, very different because Pope Francis is a pastoral theologian and is a more, more outward-focusing, more extroverted. And the, the pastoral theologian takes high theology and makes it very uh, understandable and real for ordinary people. Um, the, the way I like to explain it is that if somebody asks me to give a talk to seminarians on the Trinity for two hours. It's a very, very different presentation than when I'm speaking at Trinity Sunday and I've got 15 to 20 minutes to preach. So you have to make that real for people in a way that they can understand. And for people who more have more of a sort of theological or philosophical bent, they don't often like that every Sunday approach because I can't put every caveat and I can't explain every angle. I can't deal with all those details. You just have to make it practical. You know, St. Patrick with the three-leaf clover to help explain the Trinity, for example. Benedict, though, I mean, I still remember his first encyclical on charity. Um, it was remarkably clear and easy to read. And he had some wonderful insights in that. And, you know, for me, that's the other element of his 
papacy is you get this teaching that is much easier to read and understand and very, very clear. But that's the gift that he has and brings to the papacy. Unfortunately, he had to deal with some things inside the Vatican and so on. And with his own health and decline, he took the incredibly courageous step of um, resigning as Pope. Uh, it caused some confusion because we haven't had that for 500 years, which is only 25% of the life of the church. So you know, right. keep this perspective here. <laughs> and there wasn't any sort of governing directive. How, how does a Pope Emeritus or somebody who's resigned the papacy behave? So you can count on in the next six months to a year, um, Pope Francis will bring out a motu proprio in which he says, this is how somebody who resigns the papacy lives and behaves and acts, and these are the guidelines. And then I would say it's probably 50-50 whether Pope Francis would then resign and live by those norms mm, that he puts mm-hmm. out as a witness to people. We'll see. His, his, Pope Francis's mind is razor sharp, but he's got the sciatica down his one leg. He's yeah. got a major knee problem. And being 86 and doing surgery with anesthetics at that point is um, gets a little iffy. Right. But for Benedict, I, I, I was there during the year for priests in Rome. The Archdiocese mm. sent two priests over, and it was Father Gary Zer and myself. I still remember being in the, the piazza in front of St. Peter's uh, at the conclusion of that week for the year for priests, and Pope Benedict was speaking to everybody. We're talking with Bishop Peter Smith on The Voice of the Shepherd about the life of Pope Benedict. And you mentioned as we opened the conversation, I think it's something that I noticed both of Pope St. John Paul II in his last months and that final, he, he taught us how to die. Of course, he died on the cusp of Divine Mercy Sunday within the octave of Easter. And we saw this 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 pope, this holy father with such love and God's mercy. But we saw, as you said, his body was declining, his life was declining, and that we saw that in the evidence of those images of Pope Benedict. And when we have our own loved ones, our own family and friends, those closest to us where we see that declining health that might be in a disease of some sort, it may be in aging. But I think there's so many lessons that we learn from our faith. And maybe you can reflect a little bit about how to help us, uh, those of us who have those loved ones, and and we're going to be that one day uh, of that declining health. Maybe we can't, we're not able to do certain things that we used to do but how to look at that in a frame of faith and to trust in God when we're not in control of our body or our minds. It can be very challenging for us, particularly here in the Western world and particularly in the United States, where we've been trained or at least encouraged uh, to be very sort of individualistic and strong. But our bodies and minds uh, get to a point where we can't do that anymore. It's really interesting when you reflect on life. The circle of life that you have when you were born is is very small. You're an infant, and that circle of life around you is immediately your parents and those who love you and care for you and so on. And you're very fragile as an infant. And then as life uh, uh, goes on and you grow, that circle expands and expands and expands. And then you come into your prime, Um, you know, in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 
And, you know, here, here you go from this infant child totally dependent on others to, I mean, who knows? You could be running a Fortune 500 company. Um, you can be an archbishop or cardinal in the church. You can be doing all these things. You can be one of the greatest athletes in the world in your sport. But there comes a time when now your body is beginning to decline and that circle then begins to start shrinking. And navigating that can be very hard for us. Some people are marvelous at doing it. Others, it's a real challenge. You just because you know what you were capable of doing before and you did it. But now your body, or as you get older, perhaps your mind, you're not as pliable, you're not as able to do that. And so your world starts to shrink. And that's incredibly humbling for us. So we were used to what we had before. And now this is coming down where we're starting to become dependent on people around us uh, again in a way that we weren't uh, since we were perhaps teenagers. Right. And faith is a very important part of that because to understand that doesn't mean everything's over. It just means how the Lord can work in our lives in those situations changes. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's, I think of my mother, I was just on, the, on a WhatsApp call with her before we were recording this, and she's 85, and she's she's one of those, at this, the doctors would say, she's one of these nine lives people. <laughs> you know, she's been at death's door about three or four times, keeps on bouncing back. And I know why. Is she, she is determined to pray all her children through whatever comes their way, our way, uh, as long as she can. And she she's always got something to live for. I have to, Lord, I have to live to pray so-and-so through this. <laughs> right. And so life changes. She she was incredibly active with my father in the St. Vincent de Paul work back in South Africa where they were and in other areas. But now it's focusing much more on intercession and then in in the care center where she lives as uh, an assisted living situation, relationships with people there. That's uh, always remember the, the uh, one of my fellow seminarians at Mount Angel, who was a, a, an Air Force officer, he was always upbeat about whatever. And his, his uh, the thing he would say, bloom where you're planted. So mm-hmm. wherever you are, okay, let's make the best of this and do what we can. And that's the challenge for us as we get older in life is we keep pushing until we get to the point, okay, how do we navigate this? I still remember the moment, um, I think it was an Angelus address with uh, John Paul II where he was trying and trying and finally he couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the decline was fairly quick until his death. That doesn't mean that he hadn't been declining before, but by willpower and sheer determination, he was going to be there for that. And, mm-hmm. you know, for those of us who are parents with children, um, we will ourselves to do certain things. We're just, we're going to do this. We're going to make this happen for our children. Um, but there comes a point where we can't do that anymore when you start becoming dependent on others. And that's, if we haven't got humility in our life up to that point, we start learning it quickly um, because we need the 
the care and assistance of others in those moments to help us. Right. Uh, it's, uh, I have a, a friend of mine who is a priest, bishop, who's dealing with rapid onset dementia, uh, not here in this part of the United States. But it's just so sad to see people now have to help him celebrate Mass um, and help him to know what to do and where to walk and so on. Uh, he's determined to do it, but now we just have to, the people around him have to help him do that. Right. And that story is repeated many times in families um, as we take care of loved ones and people who are dear to us. It reminds me, um, Bishop Smith, of the litany of humility. And I think a few episodes ago with Archbishop Sample, he talked about uh, really wanting to bring back into this archdiocese that litany of humility, the courageousness that you mentioned of Pope Benedict. It's that litany of humility that, you know, pray that I can let go and really let God work when I know that I can't do and be. Yeah, and for John Paul, as you pointed out, I mean, he was the witness of life and the vitality of life. And when he comes to the end, it's a witness of how to die mm -hmm. and how to die in faith uh, and how to die, uh, in a sense, humbly dependent upon others in the midst of everything. Right. We know that when Pope Benedict uh, became Pope Emeritus Benedict, he lived in that Mater Ecclesia in a small community. And I think one of the lessons I'm starting to really glean from the evidence of Pope Benedict's life is how important that small, tight community is, particularly in those final years, his personal secretary, and then a few uh, women that were part of, I think, communion and liberation who lived with him. We saw them in the different uh, video clips uh, of those that could see him before they transferred his body to St. Peter's, that it was that small community. They prayed together every day. They ate meals together. They prayed the rosary. Just how important that community life is for us, um, Bishop Smith, from that infancy, it's key as our, our parents are so important to us as an infant. But as we progress through life, community is essential. Humans are social beings. I mean, that's the bottom line, not just in a spiritual sense, but just in a psychological sense, in a human sense. Our psyches are wired that way. We're social beings. Uh, yes, there are some people who are called to be hermits but far fewer that actually think they have the call to be hermits. Um, sometimes I hear, uh, hear of these hermits uh, who are here, there, and everywhere except their hermitages. But for human beings, it's this instinct. And this is why from the beginning, when you see the, the emergence of religious life in the church with St. Anthony of the Desert and St. Pacomius, um, even though they were hermits, they started to come together. And so then Basil the Great starting religious life in the East and Benedict in the West, so you, the church's wisdom is that, that if we're going to live this life, we need to have some sort of community with one another, connection with one another to reinforce that. And as human beings, that, that's also uh, fundamental for us. It, it's really interesting. You, you're talking to the teachers when you talk to them about the impact COVID has had. And it's going to be very intriguing to see the studies that are done by psychologists what the isolation of COVID has done to people and their sort of social development. And, and not only that, but just the impact on their lives. Um, but as humans, we, we, we want that, that connection. 
Now, so often we want it on our, our own terms uh, because if you put your life in common with somebody else, you have to put your life in common with them. You know, it's not just I receive from them, I have to also give. And so in a case like this, this is another example of uh, Pope Benedict lives his life out the last years of his life. Uh, he, he, he lived much longer than I think any one of us expected, but he lives his life out in community with these sisters and one or two others who care for him. Yeah. Um, it's If he was living in isolation in, in, in a hospital ward or care facility by himself, I'm sure uh, he probably would have gone to be with the Lord a lot sooner than he did. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Pope Benedict's influence in the world churches. And I know he was part of the World Council of Churches. And there was a great quote from one of the women, part of the Lutheran community. Uh, in fact, no, she's quoting Pope Benedict, who in when he came to Germany, I believe it was in 2011, he said this, that the most important thing for ecumenism is not to lose sight of the great things in common that make us Christians in the first place. This is a central ecumenical task in which we must help each other to believe more deeply and more vividly. And just I know in the circles that you've had as a priest, now as a bishop, in just working to bring about unity in the church, you know, where do we see some of those great highlights of Pope Benedict and his influence? Well, Pope Benedict worked on the, on the realm of the sort of theological ecumenism. So you're dealing with uh, beliefs, teachings, understandings, doctrines of churches, and so on. And the bottom line is, when, when we as Catholics talk about ecumenism, we mean relationships with other Christians. Uh, when we say interreligious affairs, that's that's when we're talking about relationships with the Jewish people are in a privileged position there, but the Jewish people, Muslims, Hindus, all those folks, people who aren't Christians. But in, in dealing with other Christians, we have far more in common with one another than we do that separates us. Uh, when you when you look at Catholicism and other Christian religions, you, you look at it in the perspective of uh, what we believe practice and and the way we believe practice and worship is not nearly as different as as some would have us believe it's we have a tremendous amount of commonality and because of that you can have those conversations much more easily because there's a fundamental acceptance god is a trinity there are three persons of the trinity jesus christ is the son of god and divine from the beginning jesus christ is uh, word made flesh Scripture is the inspired word of God. Now, we might understand that a little differently, uh, how that plays out. But things like that, we have these basic fundamental things. Something as simple as how do you pray a prayer when you are with, say, Muslims versus with other Christians? You have to change your language. So Pope Benedict uh, had a lot of relationships uh, with, with Christian churches in Europe. But even though he focused on the uh, on the theological ecumenism, he was the one that initially started to promote what we call now something like a relational ecumenism or grassroots ecumenism. There's another way to be ecumenical. This is something that Pope Francis has really taken from Benedict and really advanced well. You know, people think, well, this is Pope Francis's own little strange idea. No, no, no. It goes back to Benedict. It actually goes back to John Paul. 
and the Second Vatican Council, where we have this relational ecumenism in the sense that people who, the theologians are going to work out what happens with theological unity. But that doesn't mean the rest of us can't relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ to the degree that we're able to by virtue of our faith. And where we can do that, let's build relationships and begin working that way. So I think uh, Pope John Paul, towards the end of his papacy, uh, around about 2000, I remember at one point he uh, had some address where he raised this issue, what happened to the ecumenism and the movements of the church? This was a great hope, and this seems to have gone to the back burner. What are we doing about it? And Pope Benedict picked that up, and so, so has Pope Francis through till today. We're talking about Pope Benedict the 16th as we remember him. And again, as we talked about, as I talked with uh, Archbishop Sample, we continue to pray for him. We pray for his soul, for his eternal rest, and we pray that he prays for us and the church. You know, just on a final thought, we are entering into this year of Eucharistic revival, and we're going to continue to talk more and more about the Eucharist and the power of Christ in the Eucharist. And just Pope Benedict's example to us of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. He certainly reflected that in his writings and in his actions. He certainly did. And we are, as you pointed out, as we move in this next two years uh, with this whole Eucharistic revival, we will be reminded of that again and again and again. But the Eucharist is the Eucharist, but we have to bring our faith and our faith-filled lives to that to receive uh, anything approaching the fullness of what God has for us in the Eucharist. Absolutely. Well, with that, Bishop Smith, I want to thank you for spending some time with us today. And I want to ask you for a, your final blessing and, of course, a prayer as we close this time together. Certainly. And let us remember Pope Benedict, eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May his soul and all the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for joining us on this edition of The Voice of the Shepherd. For Bishop Peter Smith, I'm Dina Marie Hale. And until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through MaterDayRadio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.